You're listening to the Zoe Turner Podcast, business and mindset conversations that will help you move from fear and uncertainty to development and growth so that you can crush both life and business. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. Today's guest, he is globally recognized as a prominent leader in the short-term rental sector. He initially set up his rental business from scratch in a foreign country where he didn't know any of the language. And now his business, AES Events Group, it's a leader in Cannes, one of the most lucrative regions in Europe. He's also recently been appointed as the ambassador for Ripple Suicide Prevention, which I understand is an app to help vulnerable men who are feeling depressed and suicidal. So today I'd like to talk to Chris about his entrepreneurial journey, any mental health struggles that he may have experienced along the way, and um, a little bit more information about his involvement in the app and and why he's, he's involved in that. So welcome to the podcast today, Chris. Thank you for having me, Zoe. Pleasure. What are you grateful for today? Today, what am I grateful for today? I, I would say my family. I woke up this morning and I had all my family, you know, my wife, my three children in the, all in the apartment because we're actually in our apartment in Cannes at the minute. So that was a very, you know, waking up to, to that noise and just that bustle of hustle of a family. I was yeah. very grateful for that, you know. I think during these times, that's one of the biggest things I'm grateful for, just having my close, my close family around me all the time. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I would say that was, that's, yeah. So many people are feeling isolated at the moment and they're just at home alone. It's a difficult time. They don't have that, so, yeah. Very difficult time for a lot of people. So, you, I think they, I think that's a great starting question because I think, you know, great, being grateful for certain things helps you uh, just appreciate what you have and, rather than what you're looking for. So I think, you know, sometimes just starting that day looking for what you're grateful for can just, you know, set that mindset for uh, for a positive day. Chris, I'm just listening to your accent and you sound like a, a Geordie. <laughs> yeah, As I you was, know, I'm from the yeah. Northeast. We've never actually met in person. This is the first time we've met digitally because we connected on LinkedIn. Yeah. After reading your story, I reached out to you and asked you if you'd like to come onto the podcast and and share part yes. of your journey with us tell us a little bit about your background where you're from and how you got to get to where you are today originally I'm from Durham so yeah in the northeast of England so that's where I grew up um till I was 26 not 25 well, that's when I came down to Cannes when I was 25 so prior to that, I grew up, yeah, I grew up in Durham, school in Durham, college in Durham. I worked at the Royal County Hotel in Durham, which is a big luxury hotel there. I worked in their health club. I started off as handing towels out in there, and then I moved up the ladder a little bit, to, and then I ended up in Scotland as a health club manager. And then I ended up back in Durham to work for Duncan Bannatyne Health Club. So I, was, I ended up being Duncan Bannatyne's number two. Um, which then that kind of prompted me to get to come down to Cannes to set up a health club here in Cannes. That didn't really work out. And then I did. And that was when I decided to set up a short-term rental company in Cannes when I was 26. So mm-hmm. that's really 
where I'm where I'm from and where I am today. Let's go back to your time in the health clubs. So you were mm. you were a manager at Ballantines, yeah. You were one of the the top managers there. How influential was it for you? You know, like the people that you were connecting with at, um, in the health club. Massive. You know, I love talking to my guests about peer groups. Said that we're mm. an average of the five people that we spend most of our time with. And um, it's really yeah. interesting when I talk to entrepreneurs, very successful people. One of the common things is they surround themselves with people who are successful and, um, and who motivate and encourage them. So tell us a little bit about working at the health club and any connections that you made, how that influenced you, your entrepreneurial ventures later on. Well, I think it actually probably started when I was at the Royal County Hotel when I was because I was at college and I went to the Royal County Hotel as a kind of work experience. And I mean, you probably know the hotel being from the northeast of England, but if you're not familiar with it, it's it's kind of this health club is where all of the kind of influential millionaires, business owners, entrepreneurs who were very successful, went to that health club. They were members there. It was like where the affluent people went. That's where all these kind of influential business people were going to have their leisure time, you know, to have a have a swim, have a sauna. And it was just probably 500 of, the, of Durham's most lucrative, richest entrepreneurs. And I was there handing towels out. So that's where I kind of started. So when these members were coming into the health club, I was there in my shorts, T-shirt, and giving them the towel and, you know, have a, have a nice swim, have a nice sauna and this kind of thing. Part of our, what we were allowed to use the facilities when we were working in there. So, so many times after I finished, I would go and have a sauna myself. And I would sometimes sit in the sauna with some of these, like, really high-end business people and just ask them questions and you know, and just listening to them talk was just really kind of, I started to get like a feeling and just a drive for this entrepreneurship, you know, and just the success, the cars that they had. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not somebody now who's materialistic against things, but back then it was like, you know, they've got the nice car, they had, you know, they had the nice watches and things like that. And that all came from being successful. So I was just listening and asking questions and I had this little black book that I started and I still have it today where I used to ask them all questions. What advice would you give a, you know, like a 16 year old looking to get into business? And I used to just, they used to just feed me this information, you know, and I just, I don't think I ever, I don't realize just how strong that information was back then that it is, that it's helped me to develop who I am today because that information was just gold. It's really interesting that you said you had a little black book and that, you know, that you were literally mm. like a sponge asking them all those questions. Really good that you weren't intimidated by them. I'm kind of like thinking I probably would have been slightly intimidated and just like quickly gave them the towels and, and whatever. I mean, that to me displays that you had a an inner self-confidence and self-belief, you know, mm. that you had the confidence to talk to them and to ask them these questions and to to use that opportunity in a way to elevate your learning and development and your career a little bit I suppose but I think it's I probably wouldn't say that I was like first time I met them I was straight in asking questions you know I was working in this health club so I was building a relationship with them as they were coming in 
her wives were. And, you know, so I was there for like two years from like 16 to 18. So, I mean, I, I don't really remember if I was like asking questions like that from day one. As you got to kind of build a relation, like kind of questions and just get that advice. And and some of the advice was just like, just just gold, you know. And it was, and I look back on that little book today and it's just, you know, I look back and just think, wow, yeah. You know, and I remember one of them, when you, when you go back to about hanging around the right people. I remember asking one guy and he was a guy who owned a really big, haulage company in Durham called Glen Dennings from Bourbon area. You know, yeah. that's where their big depot was, yes. you know? And, um, and he said to me, if seven of your friends are skint, you'll be the eighth. And when I kind of said, well, I don't really know what that means, you know, at the time. And he said, you'll work it out. And, and I did. And, it, what it, and it's exactly that. What it means is be careful who you choose to spend your time with because they can be either positive people who can drive you forward and push you to do the things that you want to do and support you, which helps. Or you can have people who are more like balloons and want to bring you down. And, you know, in a lot of that's down to their own insecurities. But it's that opportunity to kind of hang around them right people who will push you, say, oh, you'd be good at that. You should go for it rather than, oh, you'll be no good at that, don't go for it. There's a difference in mentality when you're young, like what, hanging, and even when you're old, but you've got to be listening to the right people and hanging around people who are influential to your success rather than people who are influential to your negativity in life and, and hold you back. That happens too much in, in life when, you know, in fear, when fear kicks in and people are scared to try things and, a lot of the time, fear is not so much fear of, of failing. It's the failure of being judged by other people. That's what you've got. And that's one of the biggest things that I tell people. It's like when people say, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to fail. A lot of people say that, but that's not really what people are afraid of. You know, people fail all the time. People are afraid to be judged for failing. That's, that's not the same thing. And I think that's where you've got to get the mindset of like, it doesn't matter. I don't really, the, the, the biggest, the biggest, for me, the biggest hurdle to get over is not worrying about what other people say. If you don't, if you don't worry really about what other people say, you don't have many problems. It's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, some people are like so influenced by what other people say to them. They, they live their life to avoid them uncomfortable conversations. So it's so important that you become a person who, who can just take criticism for the right way as a learning opportunity, but just not let what other people say worry you. And, that, and I think if you can get over that and, and set that mindset, then you, you're setting yourself up for success because you're not, it's not so much that you're scared, you're scared to fail, you get to be judged from close people, family for failing. And if you can get over that, then really, I don't think you'd have much, you know, your problems would be less. So you've got to get over that hurdle. Yeah, 100%. Not taking things personally. Not easy, though. It's not easy, is it? <laughs> Even though when you talk about <laughs> no, no. it, it's it's not easy to put into practice. And and I guess it all depends, like, who's saying it as well. And because I, cause I think most of the time when people are negative, recognizing that, what they're saying isn't about but, us, it's yeah, about them. It, kind of helps that I would I think you've think. got to be about you've got to be curious. You've got to be curious and have a learner's mindset into so if somebody says something negative to you about you, then the best 
rather than kind of attack them and from like you know from a negative point of view, it's to kind of understand you know where did that opinion come from? That's an interesting opinion. Where did it come from? I would like to know more where you get that. Tell me because tell me because maybe I can change for the better if I understand where it's come from. And then maybe if if you tell me where it's come from, then maybe I can validate it or not validate it. I like that. That's interesting. But maybe they can change. (laughs) As well. But often often the time they will change because they don't have a valid reason for saying it. Exactly. That's why you're turning. That's why you're probably turning it back on them rather than coming back with an argumentative answer. You're kind of just coming back with a curious answer of, where did you get that information from? What makes you think that I, I, I was like that? Or I'm really interested to understand where you've got that validation from. Can you explain it a little bit more? Nine times out of 10, they can't. So all of a sudden it's back on them. And it's like, well, I don't know. And it's like, well, I'd like to know because I need to understand where, where it's coming from so I can try and validate it in my own curiosity. And when, if you can take that difference, then when people are telling you certain things, you can actually just open that mind to that's an interesting point I'll, I'll take that on board and when you're taking it on board you can then decide whether you believe they're telling you the truth or it's just coming from a bad place so a lot of the time we look for validation in life anyway when you know are you successful you have to look around to find out whether that's true or not you know and and that's where you've got to look at it you know from a curious angle and not from a negative angle Chris, there was a time in your life when you felt that success, how much you weren't or being, you know, was an indicator of of success. And that kind of seemed Mm. to change around about 2015. What was it that that happened around that time that made that shift in you? Yeah, I I mean, definitely when I was kind of building the building business, I, I kind of did believe that, you know, money assets cars yachts all this kind of thing validated success and i was aiming for that and i got all of it it was more kind of like in 2015 when i kind of i would i would i suppose i was i kind of burnt out and just kind of had to reevaluate where i was where who i was where i was going what i wanted because i was i had all of these things that i'd achieved so i had money that was all done I had nice cars, I had a nice house, I had a property, had a yacht, had nice watches, had a great family. You know, but I didn't feel didn't feel very fulfilled or content. So I had to kind of do. I had to go and look at that and think, how can this be when you've got all of this, you know, validation of success and you're not happy? So normally successful people are happy. Is that right? And I was answering this question and I realized that, you know, material things have got nothing to do with happiness or success. And success to me today is just about life on my terms, you know, living my life where I can be present with my family, with my, with my boy, with my girls. And I wasn't, I would be with them, but I was never present building that business. And I, and I, believe that that was where my downfall was that I would spend a lot of time with my family, but I wasn't present and that's no, that's no good to anybody. So that was probably the shift that made me realize that the business was, wasn't what was making me happy. It was being present with my family and being able to switch off from the business and go into different reams of my lifestyle and kind of 
okay, I'm not working now. I'm not working weekends anymore. I'm not doing this. I switch off at six. We're having more family dinners. But present, being present is key. And I think that's what kind of changed me. But I think today you've got to get, because even today I speak with younger generation people and they are exactly that. They, they were like me when I was 19. They want, they want the cars, they want the yachts, they want the money, they want the house, they want all of these things. And it's like, I, I'm saying to them, you go and get that because that's your North Star. You need, that's your driver right now. So I don't, I don't want to change your driver. But what I'm telling you today is that you look at yourself in 10, 15 years time, you will realize that that driving force was wrong. But I don't want you to change that because you need to learn that experience to realize it's wrong. So you've got to get to that top end and think, this isn't, this isn't success. This isn't, I don't feel happy. I don't feel fulfilled. So you've got to get to that point, I think, on your own. And most people, if you ask anybody today who's successful, they'll probably tell you because they've done that journey. They've done it. They've bought the cars. They've bought the yachts. They've bought, the, you know, they've done it. And until you've done it, you don't realise that it doesn't make you happy. You've got a good level of consciousness and you understand yourself and your good understanding of how your emotions dictate your behaviour, then surely that's what it's about. And isn't that, what people are missing maybe in those earlier years because I think we tend yeah. to develop develop that late later on you know you're right what you say Zoe it's it, it, when you're young you your your values and your and the validations of success are completely different to when you've actually gone through that journey so being able to understand that and some people do at a young age and that and I you know chapeau and hats off to them but nine times, you know, 90% of people are going on that wrong journey for validation of success or whatever. And they don't realize that it's the wrong, it's that wrong journey. They're not going to get fulfillment at the end. And I think emotions and understanding your inner critic and understanding who you are as a person, what you actually want, you know, what, you know, is it what you want or are you doing things for what other people want? And I think you've got to get that message within yourself when you're as young as you can, as young as possible. And I think that's any advice I would give anybody today is to kind of, you know, not get on that treadmill and just run and go for what you want. Take time out to really check in with yourself regularly to make sure that you're on that right track. You are feeling happy on that journey because most people tell themselves, when I get that, I'll be happy. When I can get to that, I'll be happy. When I can get that, I'm done. When I get, and that never ends. That 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 mentality never ends. You've got to not, that's a different, um, you've got to get that out of your system to think that that's not where, I'm, you know, you've got to check in on a daily, not a daily basis, but well, can do it daily, but regularly to understand what, what path you're on and whether you are being fulfilled within your daily life and what you do, what your decisions, the decisions that you're making. So I think, yeah, emotional mastery is, a, is such an important aspect of life today. Yeah. And I think sometimes it is just a journey that we have to go on. Great having all this advice, but sometimes you really just have to do experience challenges and different phases that you go through when you come into money. An interesting thing about your life and, and your business is that you you built your empire, so to speak, with your wife. Is that correct? 
Yes. So you were kind of like yeah. both in it together pretty much from the beginning. Would you say it's been a similar journey for both of you or has it been different? Yeah, I kind of get it. I mean, you know, to, you know, I think anybody out there who's kind of a husband and wife team, they'll get it. You know, it's not easy. It's kind of you're trying to build a business, but at the same time, you're trying to be intimate on a, on a, on a level outside of the business. And, it, and they intertwine so much. So it's very, very difficult sometimes. Sometimes when you as a person want to be intimate or, or switched off, the other person's got other things that they need to do because we had different roles within the business. And maybe there was a time when I was really stressed on my part and she wasn't on her part so that I was, you know what I mean? I was in a different mental space to her and vice versa. So we weren't, when you're building that business, it was like we, and at the start, we weren't, our communication was very poor. So we made a lot of mistakes in our relationship and we made a lot of mistakes in how we, how we built the business as well and how we communicated. And I think that sent us on different journeys for sure. And, you know, those times when I would be isolated and feel a little bit overwhelmed at the level that we were getting to and the responsibility that we were taking on. And she may not be, and I was holding that in, you know, I wasn't communicating my, my, my emotions, my stress, my, my, you know, my thought processes. And then we came to realize that she was the same. So mm. she didn't want to put pressure on me. She didn't want to put pressure on me talking about her problems or pressures within the business. And I was the same. So we were living these kind of false kind of isolated lives, but we were still a couple. And I mean, that's quite madness. And I think a lot of people will understand that. And, you know, and I know there's people, oh, we don't have any problems like that. We're a husband and wife team. And it's just, we've got it. We've got it perfect. And I'm just like, well, good for you. But I don't believe that that's the truth. But, you know, I think if you're honest with yourself, you know that Somebody asked me the question, if I, if I could go back and do it all again, would I choose to, to build that business with my wife again? And, and it's a really tough question because I don't think we could have achieved it without being together like as each other because we both had our different traits. But it made us, it really put a lot of strains on our relationship as well. And I don't think, I think our relationship suffered in the early days. I mean, as we got more into personal development and understanding our our why and what we really wanted out of life as a family, then things started to change and we started to communicate better. And it was like, we don't care about that so much anymore. And this is our, you know, we had our new goals, new objectives, and that helped us to communicate more of our emotions. And that helped a lot. But in the early days, it was a nightmare, a nightmare. <laughs> you know, so many, uh, so many difficult days and nights and sleepless nights. And it was just, you know, hard, very hard. So knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your younger self? Communicate. For me, communicate. You know, I, I went on this journey of just building something that I wanted to build and just had just, you know, didn't communicate my emotions, my stresses, my mental health. And I think once you start communicating and talking within, you, you, you know, the journey is a lot easier for sure. So I probably went, I probably took the hard road, you know, like, but I think so many people do that um, because, you know, they feel oh, I shouldn't be talking about, you know, feeling down or feeling, or feeling that my mental health, you know, struggling. 
Um, I don't want to look weak, you know, and things like this. So you get that mentality. And and I think that came from when I was, you know, 14, you know, when I lost my father. I had to be a man and all this. And it's and it's all and it's all kind of it's just not true, you know. And I think you've got to get that out of your system. But it's very difficult because that's the way you go. That's the journey I took. So I think any advice I would give to my younger self would be to be more compassionate to yourself and communicate with the people around you. And I think it's really important for people to, men and women, to look back at the childhood. Don't realise the impact that has on, on, on what we do today. And really, it, it is absolutely huge. Like you alluded then to the fact that when you lost your dad, which I believe was when you were 15, yeah? Four, 14. It felt that you just had to step up and do, you know, be the man mm. of the house. Boys are told when they're younger not to cry, you know, boys don't cry, you know, just hold it in. Mm. And it was even like that when I was younger. I n- hardly ever used to cry. I would mm. never show my stepfather, because I didn't get on with my stepdad, uh, ne- I would never show my stepdad that he was bothering me. So no matter what he did, I'd mm. say, right, I'm not going to cry. But it's really interesting because mm. I think I may have written about this in one of my blog posts, that all these things can lead to kind of physical ailments in the future. You know, for instance, even like, mm. you know, when you're stopping yourself from crying, apparently like the mucous membranes in your sinuses and your nose, like they swell up. If you're not crying, then that's going to become inflamed. And later on in life, that's mm. going to manifest itself in maybe colds or sinusitis. Well, it's suppressing emotions. It's a bad thing. Any kind of suppression of emotions isn't a good thing because you're learning. And that's how your brain is developing when you're young, you know. So you've got to be very careful how you, you know, what, what, you're, what you're taught when you're young. But at the same time, people aren't doing it. Sometimes these adults around her at that time aren't doing it to be manipulative or, or cause you any kind of emotional distress. It all kind of goes back to how they grew up. And, you know, I mean, there were so many people in my family who kind of at 14 were saying to me, okay, now you've got to step up, you know, you've got to be that man in the house. And even though I had an older brother, I was still getting these talks, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, okay. But what they didn't, what they, what I realized today is that's actually quite, that's like an emotional, it's emotional abuse. You know, not, not, not intentional, but it's emotional abuse because at 14, that's not what you want to hear. You don't want that pressure on your shoulders. So all of a sudden you become that person who's like, okay, I can't cry. I've got to bottle all this up. I've got to, you know, this is how I'm going to cope with it. And then what happens is you start taking your own. And this is where a lot of people go into kind of, you know, like um, addictions and things like that, because they they tend to, you know, get that release from an, from an, exter- an external source because the inside they don't know where to turn. And I think that's what happens when you're young. And, they, and what you said before is so true that with as, as, younger people that's when we develop all of these like bad habits and emotional distress and we take that into adult life and i think you know most people will admit today that they're not you know 100 probably something happened in their childhood and a trauma that's brought that to them in, in their adult life and i can guarantee that the loss of my father's caused me you know mental health issues intimacy issues 
addiction issues, you know, so it's all happened from there. I've dealt with it all head on and not easy, but it's, but it comes from there. I know it. I know that's where it came from because I've gone back that far to understand how I felt at that time and the actions I was taking at that time. And, but it was nobody's fault. That's what I, that's what, there was nobody in, initially intentionally trying to harm me. I was doing all of that on my own through what I was looking at through my, my vision of life. So I was thinking, okay, I've got to be stronger. Got to be the man of the house. I've got to do this. But, you know, so all of a sudden you start suppressing emotions and that ain't good. So you say that you went back and you started working on things. What specifically did you do to to work through your loss and to work through these suppressed emotions? Is there anything specific that you did? Did you attend therapy? Did you do any yeah. particular yeah. work? No, I think therapy's great, you know what I mean? Because it's just that outlet to just talk. I think people over overcomplicate therapy in terms of like, oh God, you know, you have to be completely sick to go to therapy. That's not the case. It's being able to sit in a room with somebody who's completely an objective to your life and non-judgmental and who can look at it from a professional point of view and help guide you to the to your own decisions. You know, like you, they don't they don't fix you as such, you fix yourself, but they help guide you to understand where these triggers and things were coming from. And I did a lot of reading as well. I started to do a lot of reading. And, you know, back in 2007, I started studying the brain. I'd started, you know, getting into neuroscience and biochemistry and reading a lot of books on habits. And uh, and I just started kind of teaching myself how the brain works and where emotional, you know, suppression and all of the things like dopamine and serotonin and cortisol and understanding all of these happy and and negative chemicals that we all have and trying to manage them and just be and be more compassionate to yourself, you know? And I think that's where it all kind of developed and came from and not trying to suppress the, uh, my emotions, you know? And I think I developed, I developed, um, what would I say? I, I, I wouldn't say that I'd, I was an alcoholic, that's for sure, but I certainly developed an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Do you know what I mean? If that makes, if that makes sense. Mm. And I also had a, an unhealthy relationship with porn. With what? And that was something else, with porn. Okay. Sorry, I wasn't okay. expecting so, that. <laughs> no, no, but the thing is, no, but I the thing laugh. is, though, this is what happens. Yeah. No, no, but this is what happens. This yeah. is what happens. And it's quite people, common with a lot of guys, it. I think, isn't it? It's, listen, if more, if more guys were honest about it, they, they, they would admit it, that they've got a problem with it. And, and it, it's an addiction, but it's also, but it's an addiction that you've created to have a release or of, of um, some time where you don't feel all of this pain, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, you know, I've and I've overcome all of that, you mm-hmm. know, through through um, just through my own inner work. But it's all about being able to be to be honest with yourself and with the people around you. And it's like, you know, I've got no problem with that, you yeah. know. And I think that's where people have got to understand you're developing these bad habits when you're a child. You know, not when you're an adult. You're developing these coping mechanisms when you're a child and what you're around and what you're seeing on a daily basis. So, you know, I mean, there's some people who would look at that and think, oh, my goodness. That, but there's so many people out there who are affected by this, you know. And young men today are 
highly affected by it. And I mean, I do a lot of talks about it here in France, about for young teenagers, how the effects of getting into kind of like technology addiction, and including social media, porn, alcohol, and all of this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's all about, it's all about introducing bad habits to your lifestyle. And then, you know, you enforce it through your dopamine reward system. And then all of a sudden it's a loop and you, and you create that bad habit and all of a sudden you have it in your life. And until you accept it and then go to change it, then you can't, you can't work that out. So, yeah. You said you did a lot of reading. For anyone listening to this, that mm. would maybe like a reference and they haven't got a clue where to go to. I've, I'll tell you, I, I mean, somebody who, I, who really worked for me and it maybe it was just a connection that I had with, with him was Tony Robbins. I, I loved my, he was the kind of, the guy who kind of set me on the path. Um, there's so many people now. I mean, you know, every man and his dogs are somebody now who's a you know motivational coach. But mm -hmm. I think Tony Robbins was somebody who really opened my eyes to the understanding of you know of what's what's capable, what we're capable of as human beings, and mm -hmm. and then that opened up a, then that opened up a, a montage of different books that I've read um, over the years that have just helped me to just understand the focus of of what our brains and our neuroscience of uh, humanity is, uh, is charging us. So, yeah, you know, I think we, Tony, Robin, Tony Robbins, yeah. One, one, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a legend, you know, and he, and he's in, you know, and he just, he speaks, he just spoke to me. He just spoke my language and I just thought, wow, I love this. Yeah. And then he's opened up doors to other things. And, you know, so if anybody's struggling, yeah, start with Tony Robbins. He can, uh, he can, he can change your mentality quite quickly. Yeah, I think what's so good about Tony is he's very relatable, especially for guys, you know, because he's he's mm. huge. For a start, he's absolutely huge. And he's quite a masculine guy. He's, I don't know if, if anyone's ever met Tony, they'll know what I'm talking about because he's literally so tall and he like towers above you and he's got mm. this like bellowing, like booming voice. So he's very masculine. And I think men can kind of, relate to that but plus his story as well like he's been there he's got a really interesting story you know oh, he, yeah, absolutely he literally but see, a, lot, a lot of this a lot of this a lot of this success this driven to success comes from kind of comes from a trauma doesn't it and all i mean so many people who are really highly successful in um in life they they've come from a they've come from some like from it's come from a driving force of a trauma you know like Oprah Winfrey's another one. It's just like they've they've found a way to kind of accept their 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 issues or their problems and just drive it forward and and just just become fantastic people, just great leaders. And uh, there's so many of them out there, yeah. And you know, so but I've never met Tony Robbins. You know, I've listened to his podcasts and 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 listened to his on YouTube and things and read his books, but. Uh, I'd like to meet him, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe not. Talking to you, I really think that you would benefit from one of his retreats, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Um, yeah, Joe Dispenza. Yeah. yeah he's, um, he does like five-day retreats, and they're absolutely incredible. And um, it is definitely for the advanced student, he really goes into a lot of detail about the brain and neural pathways and programming yeah. and, and, and all of that. Again, he's opened the door 
to a lot of men as well, a lot of men getting into meditation because what his team have done, they've um, done a lot of research and um, they've a lot of experiments. So it's all backed up. You know, it's all backed up by science and the, yeah, the yeah, evidence sure. to back it up. So whereas, you know, traditionally what was once seen as a bit woo-woo, you know, people are now looking at the evidence and, you know, they can actually see, you know, that we can create new genes by, you know, thinking of positive events and marrying the emotion to that event. And, you know, this has actually been proven by brain scans. And when people see that, it's mm. really difficult to argue with it. There's a lot of great people who are doing great work right now. You know, I mean, Andrew Huberman is another one. You know, he's another brain um, neuroscientist. And just the work that they've been advancing and doing now is just fantastic, you know. But but anything can be changed, you know. you just got to have the belief that it can be changed. And sometimes if you've created a bad habit in your life, it's not easy to get rid of it, but it's, po but it's, but it's certainly possible with the right work. And I think it all starts with um, with within, isn't it? It's like you, you've got to decide that you are going to start that day and, and you want to make a positive change to, re to relieve you know, get them bad habits out of your lifestyle. I'm sure there's probably people listening to this who have got them bad habits. And, you know, I would say to them, you know, look, accept that you've got it. That's no problem. You know, that's okay. There's a reason why you've got it. But accept you've got it. And then just go out to work and change it and, and, and remove it from your life. You know, it's not going to be removed if you don't try. So you've got to, but you've got to accept you've got it first. You know, because, like, you know, as everybody says, it all starts with acceptance and you've got to make sure that you can go and do that work and put it in. But anything like that is possible. I mean, you know, do you did you do you know much about Rich Roll? I don't. Do you, do, do you listen to Rich Roll's? Do you not listen to Rich Roll's podcast? No, never heard of the guy. Who is he? Oh, uh, no, I mean, he's a legend, you know, I mean, he's a mm -hmm. he's a guy who when he was young, he was what's he called? Alcoholic. OK, and he's, I mean, he's been on a podcast. He's. He's, he's, I think he's got about 700 episodes. That's how long he's been going. But basically, he he nearly lost everything. He was an alcoholic. Um, and now he's kind of a, on that kind of sobriety journey. But he's, um, you know, he's like an ultra, he runs ultra marathons and he does all this. He's just completely changed his whole mentality. And, oh, and another, I'll and a, definitely and also, check him what's out. He called? You're talking about yeah, and there's also Goggins. David Goggins. Yeah, but if you look at that that transformation, that transformation all came from within. You know, it just came from within. It was just kind of like, okay, no, you know, the the pain of suffering, you know, is too much for the pain of trying, and you just go, and then that's you know, there's that click switch somewhere. You know, most people have it, and uh, you know, and you got to find it. You know, if you want to lead a better lifestyle, it doesn't happen overnight, but it, it does happen. If you if you create them new positive positive habits, your your body and your brain rewards you for it. You said that you in the past you had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Have you stopped drinking mm. or have you managed that? Don't no no. I mean, when I was saying like unhealthy, I mean I would say that on a Tuesday night we'd have a dinner and I think that was a good reason to have a bottle of wine, just because we were having a nice dinner in the house and it was just like that's like there was no reason to have that bottle of wine. You know, none at all. So I just kind of linked having a nice dinner to opening a bottle of wine. So that was kind of unhealthy. I didn't need it. And it was slowing me down. And then, I mean, sometimes I'd go two or three weeks without drinking. But then I would go out on a weekend with some friends. And, 
you know, and, and I just kind of thought, you know, I just don't want this in my life, you know, it's just slowing me down. So I don't, I don't not drink, but I go so many weeks, months, not, not even thinking about it or drinking. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, I'm not a non-drinker, but I just, I just think that I don't drink, yeah. you know, but I don't say that I'm a non-drinker because I do maybe have a glass of wine or something now at Christmas or my, whatever, but I go months without even thinking about it now. And it's just kind of, it's no longer kind of a thing. I don't drink in the house ever. That's like a rule that I have because I just thought that was where my, you know, if a football match was on, see, mm. Newcastle would come on the, Newcastle would come on the telly on a Sunday and it would be like, okay, that, you know, I'll open a bottle of wine and drink it, the whole bottle, over a period of time. You know, I'm not saying I was, you know, but at the end of the day, that was like, did I really need it? Probably not, but I was doing it anyway. And now that's my, that's how I look at it as like an unhealthy relationship. I wasn't like a daily drinker or anything like that, but I was just not, I was just not using alcohol in a healthy way. And um, and that's when, you know, so I'm now, you know, I'm happy watching Newcastle with a cup of tea. Water. I'm a big water drinker now. I just, I think I've become addicted to water. Good thing. But, um, but yeah, so that's my, that's what I mean by uh, unhealthy. And I think a lot of people are like that, you know, like they, they validate like that Friday. Oh, I've had a hard day at work. I'm going to have a glass of wine. It's like, that's like, you know, validation of, of, you know, and then they open that bottle and they drink the whole bottle and, you know, then they feel bad the next day. And it's like, and they try to justify that. That's not, that doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. That just probably means, in my eyes, you know what I mean? I'm, you know, that just, for me, things like you're, you shouldn't be using things like cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, porn, or anything like that to create, to, to get over unhealthy and negative emotions. You know, you should be, I've learned to deal with all of the emotions that I have, sitting in silence, sitting on my own, without anything to kind of disrupt me either. I don't need to drink, I don't need cigarettes, I don't need anything. I can just deal with that emotion. How, how, even though how tough it is, I don't need anything to help me through that. A stressful day, I don't need alcohol. Yeah. I you stopped, know, I can just sit and, you know, so I think. I stopped drinking a couple of years ago, but like yourself, it got to the point where I would not drink for about three months and then I'd have a few glasses mm. of wine or whatever. It got to the point where it was just kind of like one glass of wine would impact on my sleep. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just mm. not, not going to mm. drink anymore. And I decided what? to stop drinking. Mm. And and I have to say, I, I wouldn't say that I've become like, you know, I've, I lost loads of weight and I be, I wasn't a big drinker anyway. But, you know, I became like ultra healthy or anything like that. But um, I, it's... I don't feel that I need it in my life anymore, and um... well, that's because you've changed the habit, isn't it? Because when you know when you take it out of your life for a certain period of time, even bringing it back in for a small amount of time, it's kind of like, oh, you know, is that it? You know, and you know, and I, oh, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night, and I, to actually today I feel really lethargic and I don't feel good, and that, and I know it's because of the two glasses of wine I had last night, so. I'm knocking that on the head. And all of a sudden, periods just go and go and go. And you start, your brain starts to understand that. It's like, uh, you know, if you're going to drink that, you know, are you going to fail tomorrow? And you just tend not to, you just tend to change it out of your lifestyle. And, and like, I'm like you. I'm not, I don't, I don't say I don't drink. I just feel that I'm, I don't, I just don't, I just don't drink. 
Many years ago, when I stopped smoking, I read Alan Carr's book, An Easy Way to Stop Smoking. And it was really interesting what he spoke about in there. And I always remember this. He spoke about a moment of revelation. He said, you will be out Mm -hmm. somewhere when you will suddenly realize that you haven't thought about cigarettes and you'll know that you're a non-smoker. And I think it's the same with alcohol. That I think when you can get to that point where you're out in a social setting, everyone around you is drinking and having a good time and you don't even think about it. You can still enjoy yourself, naturally get on with everybody. For me, that's kind of like that moment of revelation that that Alan Mm. Carr was talking about. Mm. Yeah, but this is it. You know, people who smoke, it's kind of, you know, the, the smoking, it's a bad habit, but it's, that's a bad habit they've created to, for, to you know, to manage a negative emotion. That's, you know, stress or whatever it is, and that's subconscious. So getting over that, it's possible, but it's, it takes, you've got to want to do it. You know, you've got to want to do it for you. You know, that's where, I think that's where most people failed at things because they haven't made that, that reason why to achieve it big enough. You've got to have that reason why, otherwise, you know, you won't, you just, you might start it and, oh, you know what, I'm just going to, that's okay. If your reason why is big enough, then you'll achieve it in my eyes. That's I mean, that's what I made all of my decisions just because I, I just knew that my lifestyle was just not good enough and I could, and I could be somebody better than who I was, who I was. And that was, that was me. I was gone. I was just kind of on a, on a traction to just being a better, just living a better lifestyle, a better mentality and that and that came when I got that my business started to be a lot better anyway because I just I was just more in contact with my inner self and my emotions and and it just all came together in a better way. So I'm just more complete and more happy and just more generally relaxed and you know and just don't worry so much about life, you know, just enjoy it more. Let's talk about your involvement with uh the suicide prevention app can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah well alice um who is the founder of ripple i saw some of the work i read her article her story about how she lost her brother recently back in december last year so it's very recent and her brother committed suicide he was like nine he was like 19 and he Basically, what what Alice did was she went through his um, web search on his laptop or something, and found that he'd been he'd been um, going onto Google and different things like that, and searching how to commit suicide. Okay, and when Alice was doing this, there was no kind of prevention or any advice or any kind of pop up that was you know, trying to shift people's mindset into something else. So young men are just easily going onto the internet and just searching the reasons and how. And what Alice is, design, is designing is an application that it, it um, meta-tags the, the keywords of what people search on the internet for suicide. And when that comes in, there's a, there's a pop-up message that comes in to try to prevent, to take you away from what you were actually doing. And she's working with psychologists on that. And when I read about it, I just kind of thought, you know, she's such an inspirational girl that she's turning like pain and, 
you know, family disaster to, to into a positive. And I just think that she just deserves so much credit. And and I decided that I wanted to support her. So I reached out to her and said if I could help in any way. And um, and she wanted. Then she looked, came back to me and asked me if I would be an ambassador for her app to help her kind of make it aware and raise funds for it to be to to be to be launched. She's been on Sky News and BBC and everything, you know. And wow. Doing this app and it's all about just uh, suicide prevention. Bringing this app into like onto the you know to to kind of you know I mean you know you've done a lot of you do you understand brain work so you understand how you can shift your state just by you know putting a song on or or reading a positive page of a book or anything if you can you know if you get you know get out of your own head sometimes just that shift but when there's nothing to take that shift away from your mentality you have that brain set. Um, and this is what this is, is it's a prevention tool yeah. that kind of pops up and gives people an opportunity to go off what they were doing and start getting into a, like a, a, a positive chat room through Ripple and positive support and numbers to call and different things like that. And, wow, that sounds and that's what Alice that that sounds incredible. That's what she's designing. Even like if they Fantastic. had like pop up like techniques on like breathing exercises that they you can yeah, do that would instantly change your state. So many people commit suicide these days. And, you know, like recently we had Caroline Flack last year and you kind of like mm. wonder like what was going through their mind in that minute. And if they'd been given mm. something, just one thing that could change their state from, from what yeah. they were feeling. And quite often just... It, getting that oxygen into your lungs and, and just, you know, getting some fresh air, but can just help going for that walk, doing your breathing can just change your yeah. perspective. At the time that's probably, you know, you've got full validation that it's the right thing to do. And this is, you know, cause I mean, this is the, this is the heartbreaking stories that we hear today, you know, people committing suicide and leaving families bewildered of why it happened and you know, and some of these people look like healthy young men, young women, and you know, and it's you, you know, mental health is invisible, isn't it? You know, so you've got to be, you've got to be able to be more compassionate with people that you've known who you don't know, because uh, you just don't know what other people are going through at that time. So even just to reach out to somebody and say how are you doing, are you can I help you? Yeah, do you need anybody to talk to? Anything than that changing state. But when somebody's going online and searching for the for for this i mean you know it, and it just surprises me that you know like the the, the big platforms like google aren't, aren't aren't doing something about it you know and and alice has just committed to creating this thing she's turning her grief into a in pain into a positive app that's going to save lives and i just think that and it's i'm just so proud and honored to be an ambassador of it and help and support her emotionally you know just to be there for her as well on the on her journey to, uh, and I wanted to introduce her to some real powerful women that I know, like yourself. And I know a lot of women who are in my network who are really, you know, rocking it in the world of business and emotional mastery and things like that. And I want to connect Alice with these women so she can feel part of these women and just get that support that she's just a legend. Wonderful to get her onto the podcast as well. We can raise yeah. more. Yeah, well, I, I did tag her in. I did tag you into a. Um, 
to to the to the announcement of me becoming an ambassador yesterday, and uh, and, I, and I tagged in like I think it was like ten of my top um, women in my in my network who were like rocking it. You were one of them. Thank you. And uh, a few others. Yeah, a few others. Thank and, you uh, so much. And and Alice has already com- Alice has already commented on that, and just she just all automatically feels like a part of like a strong group of women who are like just rocking it. That's, I, I don't know what else to say, just rocking it, you know? Mm. I just love that word. And, and I just think that, you know, there's powerful people and leaders, leaders of women who are just like making a massive difference. And I just think Alice deserves to be mentioned in the names of these other women. And she's a young woman starting off on a new journey to change the world and save lives. And she's going to need that support from, from her fellow her fellow rock stars. Well, on that note, Chris, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest. It's been My wonderful. Pleasure. It's really been wonderful talking to you. And it's been um, honest. Yeah, definitely honest, raw. How would authentic. people f- authentic, real? How would people find out more about about the app? And if they want to follow you, where would they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. I don't do any other social media. Mm-hmm. I'm only on LinkedIn. So I'm on the business network there. So you can search my name. You'll find me there. Or you can go to my websites, um, which is all on LinkedIn. And for, for for Ripple, you can find that just by a Google search. If you just Google search Ripple Suicide Prevention app, you'll find the website and Alice's story and what it's all about and I just think we're all just going to support her on that journey to uh, to save lives I think we all need to do that